Well, it is good to be back with you over the last two weeks. We were not here, we were just on the other side of the world these last two weeks. Before I do uh, introduce, though, what we uh, experienced and, and look at our trip to uh, India, um, Chad and Andrea Peterson, where are they? There they are, Chad and Andrea. Those are, you can stand just for a moment. Just want uh, that you see these are two of the most recent uh, missionaries that we have sent out. And make sure you say hi to them. They're here for five weeks, so that means they have five weeks of uh, evenings that they can come over to your house for dinner. All right, so make sure do that. Well, for the last two weeks, again, we have been gone, uh, mainly because nine of us uh, went to India. And I want to introduce the uh, team uh, to you in this picture. Uh, first of all, from right to left, on the right, you'll see my daughter Maddox uh, on the bottom right there. And then we had uh, Nathan and Leanna Fogdi. Uh, we had Lou and Gina Pimentel. Um, you might not uh, recognize the two people in the middle. Um, that is Joshua and VG Gandhi. And uh, they were our contacts there. They're uh, friends that um, uh, I've had for the last couple years now. And uh, they have just been so special to us. Uh, that good looking guy to the left of Joshua, that's Patrick and his wife, Sarah Sliman there. And then uh, Mark and Laura Ward. And then on the left, um, the uh, Gandhi's daughter, Jacinth. So this was the team that was in India for these last uh, two weeks. And we had the privilege of, don't clap just yet. Right to the end. We had the privilege of bringing God's word uh, to pastors there and youth um, as well. It was an unforgettable trip in many ways, and yet, uh, just as a thank you to you, Nathan has already mentioned it, this is a trip that could not have been possible uh, without you not only supporting us with your prayers, but also supporting us financially. And so I just want to thank you for that. You um, were so generous uh, in everything that you gave to this team and uh, we are just so thankful uh, for that. You can clap now, that works. Thank you guys very much. So before we get into uh, John's gospel, we'll do that next week. This morning's going to be different. I want to give a recap of uh, what we've experienced for these last two weeks. And I wanna do that from a biblical perspective. Uh, why did we travel halfway around the world? Why did you send us halfway around the world and I want to answer that question biblically and give you a few reasons. Why did we go 25 hours of travel time, 25 hours away to get there, and then 39 hours of travel time to get back here? I'm still trying to adjust. I'm assuming today is Sunday. You're all here, so I think I made it on the right day. But it has been uh, tough just to get back on the right time uh, frame here. Let me give you four reasons, four reasons why we undertook this trip. Again, looking at this from a biblical perspective, we will draw application as we go. Here's the first reason. Reason number one, we took this trip, you sent us on this trip because Christ's church is global and Christ's church is precious. Christ's church is global and Christ's church is precious. So this is how we began the conference. This is the statement that I made beginning that first pastor's conference in Hyderabad. It's with this statement. You cannot overstate the preciousness and importance of the local church. I'll say it again. You cannot overstate the preciousness and the importance of the local church. It is easy to take the local church for granted. It is easy to underestimate its effectiveness in the States here, it's easy for believers to treat the local church as optional, 
to allow other events to take its place, to misjudge its value. And yet, what do we see throughout the New Testament? It is that the church is the most precious of all entities found in this world. Think of Acts 20, verse 28. The church described, it is the church of God which he, Christ, purchased with his own blood. This is the preciousness of the church. The local church is the corporate body of believers, graciously regenerated by the Spirit, purchased by the cross of Christ, called out from the world of sin in a supernatural, miraculous way, irresistibly drawn to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Each believer is bought with a price. Each believer is redeemed, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood, the blood of Christ. The church is the most precious entity in this world. But not only that, the church is also the most powerful entity in this world. That's according to Jesus in Matthew 16, where Jesus made this promise, I will build my church. Christ bought it, Christ owns it, and now he promises to build it. To which he then adds, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The church of God as a whole, though it is attacked on all sides by the God of this world, Apply this to the church, local churches in India. They rank number 10 of persecuted countries in the world against Christians. Attacked on all sides, the church will not be destroyed. The church will accomplish its redemptive ministry and task. So the church is the most precious entity, and the church is the most powerful entity we cannot stop there. No, we must also add this. The church is the most, most unique collection of people in this world. This is the most unique entity. This is why Paul describes the local church as the temple of God. Just think of that imagery that Paul is drawing off of. That phrase, temple of God, has an Old Testament backdrop the Old Testament, the Old Testament temple was the place that God's holy presence dwelled in a unique way. Yes, God is omnipresent. God dwells differently in different places. But in the Old Testament, his temple dwelling was unique. It was visible. Well, Paul now, drawing off of that, applies that picture he applies that to the local church and he says now that God is dwelling supremely and most visibly within his local church through his Holy Spirit. So you have the church being precious, you have the church being powerful, the local church being unique. But again, you cannot stop there must also add that the local church has been given the most 
important task and mission in this world. And that task is to bring God's gospel to the ears of unbelievers. You can couple that with also the church being God's vehicle of sanctifying his people. It's the task of evangelism, the task of discipleship. This is why the church is called the household of God. The household of God, the church of the living God, and then this, we are the pillar and support of the truth. The local church is God's citadel for upholding and defending and guarding and proclaiming his truth, his gospel. The local church is the primary vehicle God uses to bring salvation to this world and sanctification to his people. This is why we cannot overstate the importance or the magnitude or the mission of the local church. It is the most precious and powerful and unique and important entity in this world. And so this is why biblically we did go to India to help strengthen the Indian churches. And we did this in a variety of ways. One way was we taught a three-day pastor's conference in Hyderabad. It's right there in southern India. And the conference was sponsored by the Reformed Union in India. It's called TRU, True, the Reformed Union of India. It's a fellowship of like-minded churches. I'll give you a history of this fellowship. It was started five years ago uh, when pastors uh, got together and they just felt somewhat alone in this country. They're upholding sound doctrine, but again, feeling alone. And so now, five years ago, they made some calls and they saw that there were other churches that believed the same thing. So they started getting together. They were somewhat disappointed at first. And yet it has grown tremendously. You'll see that in a moment these last five years. The conference was entitled Building a Healthy Church in the Midst of a Pagan World. And for 17 sessions over the course of three days, we were a little tired at the end of those three days. But for 17 sessions, we taught as a team on what a healthy church looks like. And we brought the pastors to the scriptures. What is a healthy church according to the scriptures? Regardless of the country or the language or the culture. And we focus specifically, as you can see, in the book of Titus. Turn there for a moment, Titus chapter one, to give you an idea of what we did teach. Certainly applicable to us here as a local church. We focus in the book of Titus, working our way through that book. And we did that because, as you'll see in Titus chapter one, in verse five, this letter is a letter about church reformation. Church Reformation. You can see that in verse five, Paul writing to Titus saying, for this reason, I left you in Crete. I was there with you, Titus. We've seen the churches. We've adjusted things within those churches. 
But Paul leaves in verse five, I left you there, why? So that you would set in order what remains. The church was broken. And Titus was left there in order to fix that church. It was quite a task. There was a hundred cities there, and you'll see here that, continuing verse five, appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Make sure every city has a church that has the right leadership. It's a church reformation letter. So we worked our way through this letter, and we kept reminding ourselves that the local church is not a Western construct. The local church is not a man-made entity. What we are doing here, who we are here, is a divine reality. Again, purchased by Christ, directed by God. So over those 17 sessions, we unpack six main building blocks of a healthy church. You can see those right in the middle there, if you can see it on the screen. Building block number one was this, a healthy church is led by the right elders. A healthy church is led by the right elders, the right leadership. Again, look at verse five. Here's your first task, Titus. If you're gonna set in order what remains, you must appoint elders in every city. And then in verses six through nine, there's the qualifications of the right leadership. Qualifications in the home life. The husband is to be a one-woman man. Personal qualifications in verses seven and eight. Devotional qualifications, verse nine, holding fast the faithful word, not letting the scriptures go. So we began there, building block number one, looking at the right leadership. We moved into the second building block as a healthy church, guarding the truth of God, the truth of God. We looked at verses 10 through 15, how we are to guard the truth. This is a picture of Mark teaching a workshop, breakout session. How do we develop a doctrinally sound church? That was his topic that he dealt with. It led into the third building block. Look at chapter two. Building block number three. A healthy church must call each and every member, regardless of age, regardless of gender, to live a life of holiness. So a healthy church is not, not just leadership. A healthy church involves all of us, all of us committing to a life of holiness. Look at verse one, chapter two, verse one. But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. So we guard the truth, but now we must live the truth. And so verse two, older men must be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. You can go to the next picture there. That is what Lou dealt with. That one verse, he was the... He was the older man in our group, so we thought he should teach the older men within these churches. Verse three, notice older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, or enslaved to much wine. Verse four, so that they may encourage the young women and their, their husbands. And so if you go to the picture of Gina there, if you could, here's Gina 
now teaching the older women. You have Sarah then teaching the younger women. It was a breakout time. We split between men and women. And then in verse six, we read this, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible and all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds. And so we had Nathan then, Nathan then teaching that breakout session. And so we're building now what this faithful church looks like and we're getting very practical, very practical with these, with these men and these women. We then moved into chapter three, well, rather at the end of chapter two, verse 15. This was the fourth building block of a faithful church. It's found in verse 15. And it's the pulpit that preaches the word with all authority. It's the pulpit that preaches the word with all authority. It's verse 15. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. It's a proclamation of the truth. Without a faithful pulpit, there is no healthy church. We then moved into chapter three, the fifth building block, and we moved from life within the church walls to then what is our calling when we scatter with the gospel? It's verses one through 11, chapter three, verses one through 11. Notice verse one. Remind them, the church, to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. And you can see here now, this is life amongst the rulers. Malign no one, verse two. These are now unbelievers. Be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men, men who are once foolish or who are foolish, disobedient. This is a life that we live in a world of unbelievers. And so we saw what our calling is as we scatter. You can see that on the screen. We must scatter for the gospel. A healthy church scatters for the gospel. And then we ended with building block number six. It's in chapter three, verses nine through 15, how Paul ends this letter. Building block number six, a healthy church pursues church unity. A healthy church pursues church unity. Look at verse nine. To pursue church unity, sometimes we must reject factious people. It's verse nine. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies. Verse 10, reject a factious man after a first and second warning. Was fight for church unity. And then as he finishes the book, we see that we must also unite in fellowship with one another, with our fellow believers, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. All of this flows out of verse five, Paul leaving Titus on the island of Crete to set in order what remained, to fix the Cretan churches. So we unpacked each of these foundational building blocks. And again, we spent 17 sessions doing that. And throughout these sessions, throughout these sessions, 
The question from these pastors kept coming up. The question was this asked in a variety of ways, but you boil it all down. Here was the referring question always. How are we to most effectively bring Christ's gospel to our country? That's the question. How are we to most effectively bring Christ's gospel to our country? And that is a daunting task for these churches. Daunting task. India consists of 1.4 billion people. 1.4 billion people. It's right now the fastest growing country in the world. And here's an image now of the breakdown of this country. You have 80% who are Hindus, 14% who are Muslims, and 2%, 2% who are Christians. So they asked, how are we to bring the gospel to this, this country? You can add another problem that these churches face. The problem is the Pentecostal health and wealth movement. It permeates the country in the name of Christ. Well, what is the answer to that question? What is the answer to this dilemma? The answer is this. The gospel will spread throughout India. We can apply it here. The gospel will spread in our valley, in our country. The gospel will spread primarily through the work of the local church. The gospel will spread through faithful churches equipping the saints for this work. The gospel will spread through faithful churches raising up leaders in order to send them out to plant other churches, to permeate the area. That's how the gospel will spread. Effective gospel ministry depends upon the health of the local church. That's the first reason we took this trip. It is because the church is global and the church is precious. There's a second reason, second reason for this trip. Reason number two, because as church leaders go, so goes the church. As church leaders go, so goes the church. The continuing refrain was this, spiritual leadership is no light matter. It is no light matter. The axiom is this, no church will ever rise higher than her leaders. We'll say it again, no church will ever rise higher than her leaders. And those aren't my words. This is Jesus in Luke chapter six. A pupil, Jesus says, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. This is why Paul warned, do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily referring to leadership. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Spiritual leadership is no light matter. And so this is why we zeroed in, focused much of our attention on the elders' calling and the elders' responsibility before the Lord. This is an amazing picture right here. At our first pastor's conference, we had two. We had one that had 157 uh, folks there. 
an amazing time. This was the largest pastor's conference that this group had held in these last five years. 157 attendees, they had to limit it. There was 40 more who wanted to come, but they said that we didn't have room, and we didn't. The room was filled. These are made of current elders. This group is made up of future elders. This group right here represents 80 churches, 80 churches in India. Some of these men even traveled over 600 miles to be a part of this conference. And amazing, within this group, there are also young men, young men who desired to either enter into the ministry or were looking to attend seminary or even a local church internship in order to be trained and then sent out to plant churches within this country. That was the first pastor's conference. It was a three-day conference. It was all in English. The second pastor's conference It was a one-day retreat, one-day retreat. It was translated into Telugu. There were 50 pastors there. This is kind of like a Where's Waldo picture. There's somebody who doesn't belong in that picture. And you can see if you can find them. But these 50 pastors, they represented 20 churches, 20 Telugu-speaking churches. And here, we split as a team. And I spent this day focusing specifically with these elders, specifically on how they will be evaluated by Christ when they stand before the Bema Seat judgment. It's a sobering time. In both of the conferences, we're able to trace, to some degree, trace the word elder through the New Testament. And we saw what the calling of the elder is. We see how an elder is to cherish his wife. He's to love his family. We're able to see how an elder is to model a life of holiness. He's to live above reproach, as Paul puts it. We then focused on the elder's role of feeding God's flock. Remember Jesus' words, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. We saw how elders are to keep spiritual watch over the souls of Christ's people. It's in the words of Hebrews 13, keep watch over the souls of the people. And a staggering responsibility. They focused on the elders' call to care for the flock and guard the flock from doctrinal error. All of these weighty responsibilities, a high calling for sure, And each of these are the criteria Jesus will use. The criteria Jesus will use when the elder stands before him at his bema seat. When Christ evaluates his shepherds. The Indian elders embrace this message so well. They saw the seriousness of their calling and they were quick to evaluate themselves in light of this. I want to play a video. It's about two minutes. This was one of the testimonies that one of the elders gave after that first pastor's conference. Uh, listen carefully. Um, this is Indian English, so listen carefully, but just hear the heart of this man who is an elder, pastor at his church, and how seriously he takes this calling. Now, I'm serving as a pastor in a local church. Um, I am immensely blessed uh, through this seminar. 
because he told me or it informed me of the onerous responsibility that is there on the pastor, which I honestly confess that I am not doing today. My, mostly my focus is on preaching. Other elements remain unattended. That's what I have recognized. And uh, I am also praying. I have already prayed, Lord, so there are so many things which I should do as a pastor. Give me grace. That case that it is too onerous for me to do, to do. Give me grace so that I may do it. That's number one. Number two uh, is that uh, I think this is the need for uh, everyone to know. The church is in disorder in India. It's a general observation. There may be very good churches here and there. I don't deny. It depends upon the local leadership and the history of the church and so on and so forth. So, but you know, people need to be trained as to how they don't know what church is. They think it's a social club where they can meet, you know, their daughters and sons come to the same church. They go to a hotel after the church and meet. So, like that they think. But, you know, and the... Uh, one of the important thing, which I also shared and also reinforced, but people don't know is that uh, this is, there is a need for people to understand uh, the loftiness of the church, which you have been talking about in the very first session. So we don't understand church, you know, as the embassy of God in this world. So that is such an understanding is not there. Uh, I think you people need to organize more such conferences. I request you uh, in coordination with Brother Jude for the benefit of the church in India. I request you to do such things in the future. Thank you so much. You can hear the heart of this man. Uh, they did ask us if we would be willing to come back. I did say we'd be coming back soon, but I also said Jesus said he'd be coming back soon too. So there's kind of a, a length of time that is there. But you can see just from, from his testimony, you can see this second reason why we went. It is because as church leaders go, so goes the church. So goes the church. It's the third reason for this trip, third reason. Reason number three, because EBC is a disciple-making church. EBC is a disciple-making church, and this is what disciple-making churches do. Our vision for EBC is clearly stated when you walk through those doors. You walk through those doors, look to the left, and you see this statement, EBC exists to call, mature, and send disciples for the glory of God. That's our vision, that's our calling. To call, mature, and send disciples for the glory of God. And for the last year, we have talked about developing a culture of discipleship here at this church, of intentionally and selflessly giving ourselves for the spiritual growth of others. You remember one of those key texts that we've looked at, those key discipleship texts, 2 Timothy 2.2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also for generations of believers. 
Well, this is exactly what we did for these last two weeks. We sought to entrust God's word to faithful men. We encouraged pastors to endure in their ministries. We counseled young men as they prepared to enter into the ministry. Why? So that they could then in turn fulfill their part of 2 Timothy chapter two, that they then could entrust those same lessons to the people in their churches. It's a passing of the baton. I wanna give you just a few examples of these faithful men that were able to entrust God's word to. This is one man who recently left his church and because it was preaching false doctrine, it was one of those Pentecostal health and wealth uh, churches and he left that church and he is now planning on joining with a faithful church, a part of the Reform Union, joining with a faithful church being a part of the leadership at that church with the goal then of being sent out by that church, with the goal of planting a biblically sound church in that same city of the church that he left. So that's discipleship, right? That's entrusting God's word to faithful men so that they then can entrust it to others. Here's Emmanuel. He's the tallest person I met in India. It's Emmanuel. Just a great guy, great guy. He's enrolling in seminary. He's enrolling in seminary. He's thinking about a seminary here in the States. Why? So that he will be trained, so that he can then be sent back to India and pastor there. Another man. This man's involved in an Indian church internship. It's about a year-long internship, and he's readying to plant a church soon. Next picture is Vijay. And he's going to be planting a church in just a few months in Hyderabad. There's, it's a city of almost 7 million people. Plant a church there. Again, remember, only 2% are believers. This next gentleman, this is Nagesh. And he has a great, a great role within the Reform Union. He's the man who's responsible for translating Christian books into Telugu. It's his responsibility there. Again, entrusting God's word to faithful men who then entrust that same word to others. And because of your giving, because you sent us, because of the financial support that you did give to this team, not only were we able to entrust God's word through teaching, but we were also able to leave them with books and resources. This is one of my favorite pictures. Next picture, I love that picture right there. Uh, so every stack, that's a stack of one, two, three, four books there, uh, five books actually. Uh, there's a MacArthur Study Bible. There's three theological uh, books written in Telugu. There's another theological book in English. Because of your giving, we were able to leave them, every pastor, every pastor with those books. Also, we were able to help them pay for the conference so that they'd be able to attend. That's what we gave to the pastors in Hyderabad, uh, in Dindi, in that second uh, pastor's retreat. We were able to give them a collection of books as well. We were able to give them, because they speak in Telugu, that top book is a missionary study Bible in their language. We're also able to give them that set of theology resources in Telugu as well. 
We also had a youth retreat, and I can only summarize to a degree here. Uh, next month in March, we'll have more to say about all of this. But we also had a youth retreat, and we were able to leave those youth, in fact, we're in the process of doing this now, we're able to use, uh, to give those youth an electronic version of the MacArthur Study Bible that they are requesting. Again, this is because of the financial support that you gave to these pastors. Again, it's teaching, it's resources. These will have an exponential effect on every church represented by those elders. And just think of this effect. 80 churches represented, 80 churches. Uh, This next picture is of one of the churches that they represent. This is one of those churches. We entrust God's word to that elder who then brings that truth to this group. This is another church represented by one of the elders there at that conference. Again, those two churches are just a picture of the 80 churches, the 100 churches that were represented by the elders we had the privilege of teaching. I had mentioned Joshua Gandhi. He is the pastor who leads the Reform Union. He's the one who invited us to visit India. He's the one who contacted me about two years ago so that I could start teaching through Zoom uh, these pastors. Uh, He and his wife, Vigi, they took great care of us. They showered us with gifts. We had to leave India so they would stop giving us gifts. They fed us way too much food. And amazingly, we lost weight through this. That is a miracle of the Lord. I want you to hear his summary, his summary of this trip. I can't thank Pastor Patrick enough for trusting us and bringing his family and team to minister to us. It's not a small thing. It's not a small thing. Uh, I want to especially thank Emmanuel Baptist Church for sparing her best. You are the church's best willing to come all the way, serving the church selflessly. You don't get anything out of this. Um, um, I don't have words to express my gratitude. Thank the church profusely for me. Okay. And thank the church for making all the investment. Around 100 churches have been blessed, represented by so many pastors. Each pastor is blessed and in turn, the whole congregations are blessed. You will never be able to count the fruit of the ministry. Only eternity will be able to tell where the ministry will spread and how the impact will multiply. And all the books, I mean, that's a kind of a follow-up for the conference which will have a lasting impact. The books, I mean, they will speak for generations. Lasting impact. And also thank the church, especially for taking care of the youth retreat and conferences both in Hyderabad and also in Dindi. The Lord will reward richly. Your visit will remain indelible in our hearts. 
Don't ever forget. We can't forget the warmth and the friendliness and genuine Christian love. This is this is pure. I mean it. Pure. I mean it's, it's more than blood relation. It's because of Calvary, because of Christ. We're able to selflessly love, gel quite easily, honestly love. This is a foretaste of heaven, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And uh, people are blessed. That's not just it. I'm personally blessed, challenged, encouraged, exhorted, corrected, edified. I mean, each lesson that I learned has been uh, not just encouraging, but frankly, I have a lot of rough edges, both in my preaching and in ministry, especially family life. At the pastor's conference, uh, they leave and you share that God will hold me accountable even for the way in which I love my wife. There are times that I, I was hard on her. I didn't focus all the time. So there were times that I got irritated because of her anxiety. I didn't understand her. This is God would have me understand her. I think that's, that's there's going to be a definite change in my life, in my attitude toward my life. And that will have an impact on the church as well. <coughs> Thanks for ministering to us. You will never know what you've done. Well, let's move on to reason number four. Reason number four, and this brings some application to us now. Uh, this was a reason we learned while we were there. Reason number four, because we went on this trip, because EBC has much to learn from these Indian churches. EBC has much to learn from these Indian churches. We brought the teaching. Uh, we brought the degrees. We brought the, the money, the resources. And yet, uh, we were taught so many lessons uh, from these Indian churches precious folks who love their Lord, who live for their Lord. Just a few of them, there's so many, but we were reminded that Christ's gospel is not an American gospel, that Christ's death was for the nations. Reminded of how powerful and sufficient God's word is, how it crosses every culture and transcends all time. We're reminded, whether we want to admit it or not, we're reminded of how individualized we are as American Christians and how much we actually need one another in our Christian walk. We were reminded of how self-dependent we are and how much more dependent we must be before our God in prayer. I just want to, this is just a snapshot. This is the prayer room after the service. And I'm not embellishing anything. It was 45 minutes after the service of folks within that congregation coming up for prayer. That's convicting. We are so self-dependent. 
We're also reminded of what the new heavens and the new earth will be like when men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will come together and worship the one Lord and God. I want you to listen to these two videos. They're very short. picture of Psalm 67, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Picture of Psalm 100, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. This is just a beautiful reminder of how big and how vast God's family is. Again, much more will be said later in March, but these were the reasons we went to serve Indian pastors. And our prayer as a team I trust our prayer as leadership here is that the fruit from this trip would continue to grow and that the bond between EBC and these churches would only increase and deepen as we stand in unity together for Christ's gospel, even though we serve our Savior on opposite sides of the world. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray for them. Father, We are thankful for the privilege that you have given to us to be a part of your work around the globe. I'm thankful for the generosity that EBC has had in these last few months preparing us to go. I'm thankful for the work that your spirit did through this team. Ultimately, it's your spirit who must change the heart ultimately is Christ who grows his church and that is what we pray for these churches. Pray for the pastors that are represented in these conferences. Give them the endurance that they need within the context in which they serve. Give them the boldness to proclaim Christ as the only savior them the boldness to call their church to a life of holiness. Pray for the pastors as well that they would indeed love their wives in a, in a selfless way, that they would model what a life being above reproach looks like, that they would hold fast to your word. I thank you for the conviction and the repentance that you gave to these pastors who are there. Continue that. Pray for the wives of these pastors that they too would serve well. They would encourage their husbands that have an impact within the life of their church, the lives of those women. Think of those young men who have this desire this desire to to go and plant churches in a difficult country. Lord, give them the faithfulness that they need. Give them the support from the local churches there, the support that they need. May your spirit go before them to change hearts, ready hearts, so that men and women come to you in salvation. Father, I pray for us as a church body that these same lessons would be learned here. 
that we would see the local church as precious. That this church body would uphold the leadership here in prayer. That we would remain faithful, Lord, for the task that you have given to us. We praise you that Christ's death goes worldwide. And as we remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus together now, oh Lord, bring repentance to our hearts. Bring a greater love for your people. As we remember the cross of our Savior, we pray this in his name. Amen.